Ever wonder about the secret to great design? That one way of doing things that works better than others and always creates great products? Well, Aaron Walter and Eli Woolery from Envision have been talking to lots of companies about that, and today they'll let the cat out of the bag. This is Design Driven, the podcast about using design thinking to build great products in lasting companies. Whether you're running a startup or trying something new inside of Fortune 1000, the tools, methods, and insights we talk about will help you create things people love. Design Driven is brought to you by Nine Labs, guiding innovators and product teams through executing their vision. Find out more at NineLabs.com. And now, your host, Jay Cornelius. Hey, everyone. We are super excited to have two guests today, Aaron Walter and Eli Woolery. They are the Batman and Robin of design education at InVision, you know, that prototyping tool that everyone loves. Hey, guys, welcome to the show. Hey, thanks for having us. Thanks for having us. Great to be here. Yeah, glad you can join us. So uh, most people who are listening are probably familiar with InVision, but for those who aren't, how about a little recap of what the app does, what the product does, and how you got there and what you're working on that's exciting these days? Well, InVision is a, an interesting uh, platform. It, generally, we say it's the place where uh, design happens as, as a team. People can create better products faster by working together. Um, designing, prototyping, testing with your customers, socializing your designs within the company and getting feedback. The product does a lot of different things these days. It's grown a lot. But um, I used to use the product way back in the day when, um, when I was at MailChimp. And uh, it, it really changed the way we work as you know, running the product team there. So um, I've been a customer for a long time. And now uh, at Envision, it's, it's sort of serendipitous that I'm there. So um, I, I have a strong bias and, and strong belief in, in the platform and what it does. Yeah, like, like Aaron, I was a, a customer before I became an employee. And, uh, and my work is mostly client-based work, working for small startups. And um, it just really revolutionized how quickly we could get feedback on designs and iterate. So uh, yeah, I fell in love with the tool close to when it was came out and used it for, for several years before uh, finding out that uh, Aaron had had joined Envision and started something called Design Education, which um, really aligned with my interests because I have a background in product design, physical products, and digital products, and I also teach design. I teach a design class at Stanford called Implementation, and so um, the, the intersection of design and education was really interesting to me, and so I chatted with Aaron, and he brought me onto his team. Awesome. You know, Aaron, you and I have known each other for a number of years, and, and I've always respected what you've done in terms of, of educating not just the people on your team, but the people around you and in the community. So it, it's great to see something, uh, a platform like Envision embrace that and give you a, you know, a tool or an audience to, to do that at a much larger level. So, so can you talk about what you're doing? Like what is the design education department and, um, and what are you doing? Yeah. So, uh, so we talked about the platform, and that's a, an important thing for us, that, you know, building a product that helps design teams. But a tool is not the only thing that helps design teams elevate their design practice. They have to understand the practice themselves, the methodologies, the process, um, how to run a team, how to be a design leader. These are all things that are very interesting to Eli and I and, and the design education team. So um, when we started this team just uh, about a year and a half ago, uh, this was the, the start of trying to um, 
take advantage of this really unique opportunity, this unique position that Envision has because we have millions of users, um, thousands of design teams around the world at, you know, big companies that we're familiar with, you know, big brands, but also small, small companies maybe you haven't heard of um, and everything in between. Lots of different types of design teams are using the platform. And so we have this unique position where we get to see all these teams and see how they work, um, see where they struggle, and also see, um, you know, what, what are the best practices and how do they succeed? And of course, Eli and I have our own personal experiences of, of leading teams and being involved in different types of companies that help color that perspective and, and fill some things in um, as well. But um, the design education team, our mandate is to elevate design practices in companies uh, around the world. And we do that by spending time with these teams, um, learning from them, uh, you know, hearing how they solve problems, like how are they building design systems and, and implementing those? Um, how are they using design thinking as a way to get more people involved in the design process, improve buy-in, get design a seat at the table uh, with executives? Um, so there are, there are a lot of different types of things that we do, initiatives that we do to to deliver on that promise of, of trying to elevate design practice. Yeah. So as you talk to a bunch of different teams, can you identify like some common themes about what works and what doesn't, not just around the tool, but around um, what types of projects they're working on and, and how they approach them? Yeah. So I think, you know, I'm, I'm going to point to Aaron on that Um uh, one just for, for an essay he wrote about some of the things that design teams are struggling with as they're trying to scale, scale design in their organization. Um, maybe we could drop a link to that, that essay uh, in the show notes. But uh, I think, you know, one of the overarching themes is really how do we, um, how do we demonstrate the value of design to people outside the design organization and show that investing in design has a really huge uh, return on impact, or sorry, return on investment um, for, for the companies that put the resources into it. And I think we're starting to get those stories from all different kinds of industries, not only companies that are you know, thought of already as being you know, relatively designed forward, like Google's and the Airbnbs of the world, but, but other companies that say like nationwide insurance um, who are really latching onto the, the principles of things like design thinking to spread design throughout an organization. And that's, that's a, a really common theme that we've heard is that, um, you know, how do I communicate the value of design? And we think about that in what we call little D companies, companies that haven't quite figured out that design is valuable and important and a key part of their strategy. That's how they, you know, maybe improve profit margins or breakthrough in a very busy marketplace. Um, so in, in little D companies, we expect to see that, executives, um, engineers, product managers, they might not understand design, where it should fit into the process and what value it brings to the, the business. Uh, but we even see that in some big D companies, some really big companies who, you know, brands that we're very familiar with, where we hear design leaders having to communicate the value of design every day to their colleagues and say, hey, design's important. It should be uh, a thought about early on in the process, not brought in at the, the 11th hour to make something look pretty. We're here to help solve problems. We're here to help the business succeed, to get, you know, to improve uh, product usage, to reduce churn, to 
reduce support costs, whatever those metrics are that design um, is, is addressing directly in the business. So, um, you know, Eli and I, we hear a lot of stories of, from design leaders talking about, you know, how do you communicate that value of design to others? Um, and, and a big thing is that, you know, uh, you have to bring more people into the process early on. And that's something that designers feel a little resistant to sometimes of if we uh, draw back the curtain and um, show people how we work and we get them involved in the design process, won't people value our contributions less because they think, oh, well, we can do that too. We're, we can be designers. That's why we see you know, all this resistance and, and uproar in the design community when people like Jared Spool say, Hey, everyone's a designer and people just mm-hmm. go crazy over that. Um, but I, I think there's something to that, to what Jared's saying is, you know, is everyone, uh, uh, you know, adept at, at, at the craft of design and, um, you know, designing an icon or designing a UI? No, that's a, that's a very specialized discipline that, that certain people do very well. But the idea of design and thinking about, about a problem and what Eli's talking about with design thinking, this methodology of um, you know, empathizing with the audience, discovering um, the opportunity of how you could solve that problem, uh, you know, prototyping that thing, testing it. Uh, all these things are, are part of the design process, and there are places where other people can plug in. And you know, other people being engineers, product managers, executives, lawyers, marketers, anybody. And it turns out that the sooner you can get people involved in that process, instead of, you know, selfishly claiming all of our Legos for, for ourselves and the, and the glory, but to share our Legos with other people to, to play and build together, um, you can achieve buy-in faster. Instead of at this, you know, grand reveal of design, song and dance, this is what we've come up with. We are geniuses worship at our altar. Uh, that's really not how it works in most companies that, you know, people don't, don't receive those sorts of big reveals very well. They feel like, why wasn't I consulted? Why, uh, why am I not part of that process contributing? Mm-hmm. Um, and there's this, um, uh, that, that can be heartbreaking because designs can get crushed. Uh, you get very, very invested and you get a few months into the project and you find out, you know what, we didn't hit the mark and we need to go back to the drawing board. We've wasted time and energy and the team's morale starts to drop. But if you get people involved sooner, get them involved in the, the ideation and even the research you know, empathy process, if you get them involved in design reviews um, every step of the way and help them understand design and the, you know, what the value that that design is bringing to the company, um, people buy in. And that leads to supporting design, that leads to investing in design, that leads to happier design teams. Yeah, and it leads to a greater understanding of the value um, amongst those executives who would typically just pull in and, to borrow another one of Jared's terms, do the swoop and poop, right? Mm -hmm. Um, So it helps prevent a lot of that friction in the process as you start to expose other teams to what you're building and, and its progress. So have you seen um, typical like team composition that tends to work better than others or a particular approach? Like design thinking is pretty broad and there's a lot of uh, articles out there about how to go about that. But have you seen any approaches that are working better than others? So I think we see a lot of different, you know, team configurations and 
and uh, we actually had an interview with John Maeda a while back where he really encapsulates it quite well. And he tells the story of uh, designing a table and, you know, first you're designing a table for just to hold some knickknacks. Later on, it's got to hold an elephant. And so the design has got to be a lot different. And, and to relate that back to the company as it scales, you know, the team configuration is going to change as the company scales and as the, the challenges change for the company. Um, companies like Airbnb are, are using uh, an EPD engineering product design configuration. So you have a, a stakeholder from each of those those sides of the product teams uh, in each team. And that seems to be working really well for them at, at their current scale. But I don't say we, I, don't, I couldn't say we've seen any hard and fast rules for team configuration, you know, kind of across the board. It's really dependent on, on the teams, the stage of the company and, and the kind of challenges they're facing. Yeah. So do you see that correlating to like organization size or the type of product they're building, or is it really just vary depending on the culture of the organization and, and how well they work together? Yeah, it, it varies dramatically. And that's that's the thing that I think that I hope designers realize is that um, in, in a rapidly growing company, um, the design organization and just the org structure of the company in general is going to change a lot. And that's going to create um, FUD, fear, uncertainty, doubt. Um, the organization changed. Where do I fit? Am I still valuable? Um, how do, you know, am I still going to be happy in this new configuration? So there's there's a lot of movement in organizational structure. Um, we we actually uh, we talked to um, Shopify recently, and they have grown tremendously. And and uh, you know I asked them about their organizational structure, and, and Eli and I have talked to you know countless heads of of design and all all kinds of different companies. And we we went into our research uh, over the past year and a half thinking there's some definitive org structure type. And the more we ask about org structure, the more we realize it's just, it's not definitive at all. And at Shopify, for example, they said, we can't even tell you what the org structure is right now because it's changing and it's gonna change again. And that just happens over and over again. And that happened at, at MailChimp, you know, in my experience as we were growing and adding a lot more people and the design team kind of shifted and the way that design and engineering a product kind of fit together, it shifts. And, um, you know, when it was, you know, my experience of being inside of one company, I thought, oh, this is just us. But now it's really clear that, um, you know, it's just like what, what John made us said that, uh, your org structure will change based on your needs. So for example, sure. uh, you know, if you've got a centralized design team, that might be advantageous if you are developing a design system or you have a weak design organization with a lot of junior designers and you want to try to nurture the, their skills and get them more, uh, you know, help them level up a bit. Um, but it could be a problem because you get a bit of an echo chamber where it's all designers talking to one another and they're not really thinking about product and engineering considerations in, in their design. Um, so, you know, a lot of companies, they'll break that centralized design structure into a distributed structure where they send designers out onto these islands where they're cross-functional teams, where it's maybe a designer, sometimes it's a couple, um, with a bunch of engineers and a product manager. Um, and what's great about that is you get um, higher bandwidth in communication because they sit together, they're cross-functional. Uh, you get multiple perspectives. It tends to develop respect and empathy for these different disciplines. 
But the problem is if you're the only designer in that team, um, it's a bit like expatriating. Uh, you know, when you expatriate, uh, you give up your, your citizenship of your, your mother country. Chances are you're speaking a new language. Uh, it's a new culture. And you're there in this new place, but you're never, you never quite fit in. So right. one designer- You'll never with, be native. Yeah, exactly. You're never native. So one designer with 15 engineers, they're going to march, you know, report to, to different values. Uh, do we really need to create this animation for this design? Because uh, we could develop this and push this live and maintain it better if, if we didn't have that. But that does add uh, to the experience. It creates a memorable experience, which can help sure. with marketing or you know, in the user journey, reduce churn, et cetera. So there, there are problems with that structure as well. And there are other structures to, to be considered um, in addition to those too. But it's a matter of thinking about what are the priorities of the business right now? Uh, what are the priorities of the team? What do we need to develop? And then choosing that structure uh, for your needs. Yeah, so it sounds like there really is no right answer. Kind of like everyone talks about being agile, and that's uppercase agile or lowercase agile or agile-ish or whatever kind of process they're following, and there really is no right answer. So is that true for the design process as a whole? Well, I think that the design process as a whole is, is another really interesting thing that we've been interviewing companies about. And, the, and there is a lot of variation there. You know, companies like IBM have been experimenting a lot with design thinking and kind of tweaking it to, to achieve the kind of scale results that they need to have given their, you know, hundreds of thousands of employees and, and you know, thousand designers, thousand plus designers. Um, but I think that um, there, are, there are some commonalities amongst the, the companies that are doing design well and, and that also harkens back to a really fundamental part of design thinking, which is just, you know, being customer centric and really engaging with the customer early on in the product design process and doing that repeatedly and iteratively. So, you know, there's a lot of different ways to attack it. Uh, there's design sprints, there's design thinking, um, there's, there's, you know, a lot of tools out there. And I think, you know, just like any tool, it's got to work for you. For some, for some teams, design thinking won't, won't be the right answer, maybe design sprint or for, you know, any given challenge. So I think, but I think it does still come back really at its core to this empathy for the customer and really understanding their, their needs. Really. Mm -hmm. So if, if you were forming a new design team or if you had advice for somebody who had a, a new design team that's trying to solve a problem, where would you tell them to start and, and what advice would you give them? I think that when you start a design team, um, you need generalists. You need people that can do a lot of different types of things. Um, people who are good with the big picture, um, they're comfortable with uncertainty. They tend to be explorer types, uh, which is different than, um, the, you know, the farmer types who are optimizing and they're pulling weeds and they're, you know, making refinements. That type of thinking is not useful when you're starting a product, you're starting a design team, you're, you know, you're in a nascent company you really need these, um, lateral thinkers who can explore and have a kind of can-do attitude and, and work on a lot of different things. Now, as you scale, uh, you want a different type of, of, of person. You still need some big picture people to stitch together the, the, the various teams and help people understand this is the vision for the product, this is the, the mission of the company and so forth. Um, 
but you need more specialist people. You need that icon designer, that animator, uh, that, you know, really talented front end developer, um, someone who's a great marketer, et cetera. Um, you know, we, we see a lot of startups where people are, you know, they might be working on the marketing site and the product and, you know, they're at events and various things. And that just can't scale at a certain point. Like you, you're scrappy early on um, and you try to work with what you have. And then as you scale and you want to really refine and um, level up your skill set, you need specialists. And as you add more specialists, you need mortar to join all those bricks together. You need... Um, people who can organize teams and manage teams, who can rally people around a, a, a common mission. Um, and, uh, you know, you, you, when you get to a, a very large scale and you've built a customer base and you're profitable and you're making money, you, that's when you need to bring in the farmers to optimize. Let's pull these weeds. Uh, some of this work might be boring uh, to, to certain types of people because we're just going to, like, refine this code, refine this design, you know, shave a second off of this, this workflow for the, the customer. Mm -hmm. But uh, people who love that stuff, they're very valuable. You just, you know, continue to iterate. Um, and the, the grand um, innovation is sort of left behind. Yeah, but you're not giving permission to like an early team to just be sloppy. And leave a bunch of stuff for a refinement later, are you? I mean, it's it's there's more Absolutely to it than not. That. I yeah. mean, it's just you know you're you're just making do with what you what you have. You know, it's sort of like going from MacGyver with I have my pocket knife and my duct tape. Uh, there's nothing sloppy about that. MacGyver always wins, right? He he's gonna he's gonna make the airplane out of the tarp and the the lawnmower, right? Uh, one way or another, right? <laughs> and he's gonna make it happen. But uh, at a certain point, you know, you don't want to. Uh, fly 150 passengers on a lawnmower and tarp airplane. That's just not going to work. You need to build something uh, more sophisticated and more refined, and that requires specialists. Right. Yeah, I, I like the continuation of that metaphor. <laughs> <laughs> so um, designbetter.co, talk about what's happening there and um, and who is it right for? Yeah, so... Um, you can kind of go back a little bit towards the origins of it because um, it was a, you know, the first big project when I came on and Aaron kind of shared the vision for it. And I was just really impressed by how he, how he pitched it and how they had thought it through because, you know, there aren't all that many great resources out there for, for designers or even people who are outside of design that want to understand some of the fundamentals and, and best practices. I think there's some good books, but there's not any really great kind of consolidated resource. And I think, that's part of what we wanted to achieve with Design Better was to create a, uh, a repository of information that would, you know, hopefully stand the test of time to a certain degree. So, you know, there, there'll be specific things in there that will become outdated, but a lot of the principles we hope will, will stand the test of time. And it's something a designer can go to either early in their career if they're, if they're just wanting to learn or, or later on in their career if, they're, if they feel like they're getting stuck because we're trying to address some of these common problems that, that companies small and large are facing as they as they scale their design team and, and tackle different challenges. So currently we, we've got up there three different books. We've got a book on the principles of product design, which Aaron wrote. We've got a book on a handbook for design thinking, which I wrote, and then a book on design leadership, which Aaron and I co-authored. And so we feel like that's a, a good start and we've already got some more on the way, which maybe we could preview. But um, 
we've been really excited at the reception so far. In addition to the books, we've got a podcast going there. We're just launched our seventh episode and um, we're also running workshops for companies that are interested in, in bringing in some really uh, fantastic folks like Jake Knapp, who's going to be doing a design sprint workshop. So we've got a lot of stuff there, a lot of material, and um, we're already getting some, some great feedback. We hope it continues to be a, an evolving, uh, evergreen resource for folks. That, that yeah, it sounds like you haven't been sleeping very much. <laughs> yeah, that's, that's true, especially up to the launch point. But, uh, but uh, we're excited about it. Yeah, that's a lot of content. And it sounds like it's um, good for both beginner designers all the way up through seasoned people and people who are even managing design teams. Would you also say that it could be a good resource for like a product manager or someone who has to work with a design team but isn't necessarily on the team? Absolutely, yeah. You know, each one of these these three subjects that um, Eli outlined, uh, product design, uh, design thinking, and design leadership, um, I think that the more that, you know, product manager or an engineer who's working with designers, the more they can understand that, that discipline, that craft, um, the better. The better they, they can um, collaborate with their, their colleagues. So um, it's useful there, too. And it's worth pointing out, it was, it was a very important thing for us to not just, um, you know, go deep and kind of wax academically about these, these various topics. Um, we want to ground this in reality. We want to tell the story of um, Envision customers and, you know, all of these, these various teams that are trying to figure this stuff out. We're all trying to figure this stuff out together, you know, at, yeah. at the same time. And we would like it to be together as well because um, I think there's lessons to be shared. But um, inside of each book, inside of each chapter, you'll find video interviews and audio interviews um, from people in the industry, people from Netflix, people from uh, Google, NPR, uh, you know, Facebook, all, all kinds of different types of companies um, that you know, they're doing cool stuff and they're sharing stories from the front lines that expand the ideas that are presented in designbetter.co into reality, into, you know, the everyday work environment of the designer. Yeah, I guess it's one of the advantages that you have coming from Envision is that you've got companies of all sizes across all types of verticals, building all kinds of different things using the product. And so you can get a glimpse into how all of those companies are doing that and then build this resource in a way that can really speak to anybody, no matter what they're trying to design. Yeah, absolutely. It's, it's a, it's definitely a, a privilege that we have to be able to, um, you know, look across all these different types of design practices and see, see what's happening there. Yeah, exactly. And it's a beautiful site too. It's, it's uh, really well done. Thank you. Yeah. That credit goes to, we have a really fantastic creative team and a really great illustrator who really brought the content to life. And, and just to reinforce something Aaron said earlier, um, just the fact that we're able to sit down with all these people and they give us their time and let us, you know, interview them on video. You know, we wouldn't have been able to make the book without those contributions. So really, really grateful for that. Yeah. Cool. So um, as we're starting to wrap up, if you, if you were to take somebody who is really struggling to get their team working effectively, um, no matter what type of product or what type of company that they're in, um, what would you say they need to do to at least try to get things back on track or, or moving the right direction? Like what, what is the, if you were to distill it down into an elevator pitch, what, what do you think that would be? So, you know, being a 
a designer, I'm, I'm going to give a bit of a biased answer, but I think, you know, if you're talking about somebody who's on a design team and wants their team to be more effective, I think leaning on the skill of empathy is, is really a good one. I'm get out there, talk to your colleagues outside of the design team, talk to developers, talk to product managers and understand their problems. Because if you, if you bring some to the table and it's just, you know, your own uh, perspective and biases and needs and desires that you're bringing to the table, it's not going to be nearly as powerful as if you understand, you know, what those needs are from, you know, other teams and from the CEO and from, you know, everybody that, that needs to make the decisions that's going to, going to move the team forward. So I think really it comes down if you if you want to be effective to just leaning on those empathy skills that you already probably have as a designer. And to just build on that, I mean, this, this is the common theme that we've heard um, across many interviews with lots of different companies is that, you know, design is a team sport and not just the design team, but all teams. Um, Mark Opland, who's a design manager at Facebook, said something that really resonated with us. Um, he said that, you know, sometimes your feet are your best design tool, getting up uh, away from your computer talking to other people, um, you know, we've heard a number of, of designers that are, who have been successful in their organizations. Uh, common habit is that they have breakfast, they have, you know, coffee or lunch with their uh, peers, um, colleagues in different departments that they have to collaborate with on a regular basis. So, for instance, at Airbnb, Alex Schleifer, who's the, the head of design, um, he has breakfast every, you know, almost every morning with the, uh, the head of product and the head of engineering. And that allows them the opportunity to build rapport, uh, build empathy for one another, align their efforts, sync up on projects and, and allocate uh, resources accordingly. Um, so that's, that's a, a huge help. Um, and then Ryan Page at Capital One, he also said something that uh, I found interesting. Um, he said, you don't win a VP spot, uh, VP position with your headphones on. And that, that just sort of reiterates this idea of, yeah, like that. you know, as, as designers, we love to, um, you know, sip a latte uh, with some great tunes on and, uh, you know, stare at our beautiful big monitor and design something. And that's great and, and, and an important part of what we do as individual contributors. But design um, at, at any sort of scale, um, it requires other people to touch our, our work, to take that to the next level, to the next step. Um, and so if we are only focused on this one discrete step of pixels, layout, you know, how does this feel, those sorts of things, and we're not thinking about how's it going to work? How will this be translated into code? Um, what are the things I'm not thinking about because I'm a designer and I'm not thinking about data perhaps or you know, engineering opportunities that I didn't know that we had? Um, how does this align with the business objectives? That's a really important thing. How do I communicate this idea, this story to the company so they get excited and they want to buy into that and support it after it's launched, help market it, et cetera. So, you know, the people who tend to do best and um, make it furthest in their career are those who have strong communication skills. They might have strong writing skills. And they're willing to step away from their computer and get to know other people. Yeah, that's great. So it sounds like um, empathy is the number one skill that people need to develop in order to be an effective designer. It's not so much about workflows or pixels or anything else, but just understanding 
who you're designing for and the context you're designing in and being able to assemble those things in a way that, that, uh, that works together. Yeah, absolutely. I mean, so, you know, going back to my, my origins of teaching, um, that's sort of the core part of our product design program is this focus on, on empathy and, and the people that are going to be using the products, not so much there, you know, the students, there, there aren't as much of an emphasis on the business side of things, but I think that carries over as they make their entrance into, you know, real world jobs that not only can they have the, the ear for the customer's needs, but they're well positioned to also understand their colleagues' needs and the leadership needs in a way that's, that's really powerful. So I think, yeah, empathy is at the core of uh, a lot of successful designers' careers. Yeah, couldn't agree more. Well, guys, it's been great having you on the show today. I really appreciate the insight and, and your time of coming on and chatting with us a bit about design and what you're working on. If somebody wants to learn more uh, or speak with one of you guys individually, how can they find you and how should they reach out? Um, I'm best reached probably just on Twitter at eWoolery. Um, I am also on Medium under the same same. Uh, yeah, and you can catch me on Twitter. I'm just Aaron uh, on Twitter. The trick is my name has two A's and two R's because my dad misspelled my name at the hospital. <laughs> it made it easier to get my uh, Twitter handle. <laughs> yeah. yeah, and it's so it kind of like uh, me with the one letter J. It serves as a great filter. So if someone misspells your name, you know that they don't know you that well. That's right. <laughs> Well, thanks again, guys. Like I said, it's been a true pleasure having you on the show. And uh, I'd like to get get you back on the show at some point in the future and learn a little bit more about what you've learned over uh, your course of working with people and, and, and how Design Better is working. So I look forward to doing that, too. Thanks so much for having us. Yeah, thanks for having us. It's great. Take care. That's it for today. Design Driven is brought to you by Nine Labs, guiding innovators and product teams through executing their vision. Find out how they can help improve your digital products at NineLabs.com. Have comments, questions, or an idea you'd like us to cover? Point your browser to designdriven.biz and click Contact Us at the top of your screen. We'd love to hear from you. Tell your friends and colleagues about the Design Driven Pod. Post on Facebook, Twitter, LinkedIn, or send them an email and tell them to go to designdriven.biz or wherever they find their podcasts. Until next time, remember what Thomas Watson, founder of IBM, said, Good design is good business.